Thank you for listening to the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. Lake Murray Baptist Church is a Southern Baptist church located in Lexington, South Carolina. Our aim is to be a church committed to the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, and this podcast is a resource for our members who are seeking to live in light of the gospel among their neighbors and the nations. Hey, welcome to another episode of Behind the Sermon on the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. Today, we will spend some time reflecting on the passage from this past Sunday, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, where we discussed roles of men and women in the church. Uh, this episode, this podcast, we've been doing this the last few weeks. It's a way for us to have an opportunity to discuss uh, further some issues or items that we really just don't have time to get to in the sermon. So if you haven't listened to the sermon from this past Sunday, I would go ahead and encourage you right now to go back and listen, because most of what we'll deal with in this episode comes from the text. And so as I mentioned Sunday, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, really is one of the most discussed, debated, and disagreed upon text from the New Testament. And I think most of the disagreement centers around how to apply Paul's commands to women in the church in Ephesus. And so regardless of how we translate or apply this passage, I think we have to do so with humility and with charity. This is not an essential issue of the Christian faith. I would qualify this as a second-tier issue, meaning that faithful Christians and churches can disagree about how to apply this passage. But it is an important issue to the Christian faith because how Christians and churches choose to interpret and apply this passage will lead to some disagreement and and oftentimes will lead to separation between local congregations. And so let's look at the text itself. There are two clear commands to women in this passage. We'll skip down past verses 8 through 10 and move right into 11 and 12. The two clear commands to women in this passage are that they would learn quietly with all submissiveness and that they would not teach or exercise authority over a man. And so as we discussed on Sunday, when we arrive at difficult texts, we have to apply certain hermeneutical principles. And the first principle we want to look at is the principle of harmony, that we interpret the scriptures using the scriptures. And the second is the principle of history, that God's word is not revealed in a cultural vacuum. Therefore, we recognize that the Bible is God's inspired word to his people and that eternal principles or truths that do not change over time and culture are often embedded in cultural practices, customs that do change across time and cultures. So it's the responsibility of the modern reader uh, filled with the Spirit, studying the Word in the community of the local church. Remember, theology is best practiced in community to do what John Stott calls cultural transposition meaning that we seek to determine what are the eternal principles embedded in the cultural practices of the first century and then seek to apply those same eternal principles to our modern context. And so I think most readers are able to do this pretty clearly with Paul's encouragements earlier in the passage to men and women in verses 8 through 10, where he talks about uh, men praying in the church and uh, modesty for the women. But sometimes I don't think we apply the same interpretive principles to verses 12 and 13. And really, there are a couple of reasons, I think, probably more than two, but I'll give you two reasons that I think this passage, particularly verses 11 and 12, stir up so much angst and dispute within the church. First, these verses do really cut against our modern sensibilities and against secular thought about gender and equality. Um, many in a, in a secular society and even in the church see Paul's commands here as having to do with the value or worth of women 
rather than what I think it is, a necessary distinction of gender roles within the church. However, I do think we live in a culture that views any type of gender distinction as archaic at best and repressive or even abusive at worst. And so in an anything-you-can-do-I-can-do-better culture that sees men and women as interchangeable pieces and seeks to kind of flatten out all gender differences in the name of equality, there's really little surprise that the conversation around this verse is so often co-opted to being about value and worth rather than about role and responsibility. But I think, again, the scriptures are clear that men and women are both made in the image of God. Both are equally valuable before him. Both share common human dignity. And yet they have been given specific roles and responsibilities in the home and in the church according to their gender. And it bears mentioning that nowhere in the scriptures does it seem to teach that either role of men or women is superior to the other, but that both are necessary for the flourishing of God's people and of his church. And so these are not verses about gender equality, but about gender responsibility, specifically within the context of the local church. Second, I think these verses are misunderstood because they are often viewed in isolation rather than as a part of the larger picture of the scriptures. So when we consider these verses, the conversation is usually framed as what can't women do in the church rather than what are women responsible for in the church. And so in these verses, the Apostle Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prohibits women from serving in the office of elder and exercising the authority given to the elders to lead and instruct the gathered body through the preaching of the word. So I think this is a clear eternal principle from the scriptures, that headship in the church designated by the office of elder is designed specifically for godly qualified men. And we'll see that in the text coming up this next Sunday, where Paul lays out those qualifications for the office of elder. Likewise, we'll see that the elders are responsible for the instruction and shepherding of the church through doctrinal fidelity and through the preaching of the word. And so I believe that Paul has the office of elder and the act of exercising pastoral authority in preaching in view in these verses. However, Like we talked about earlier, we have to use the principle of harmony. We interpret the scriptures through the lens of the scriptures. And so we have to look at how does this apply or how is this taught elsewhere in the scriptures as well. And what we see in the scriptures is that women are a valuable part of serving the church. And so viewed through the lens of the rest of the scriptures, Paul is not prohibiting women, I don't believe, from serving the church through teaching. Because elsewhere in the New Testament, we find women teaching, specifically other women and teaching children. Clearly, he is not; he doesn't have that in view here. We see that elsewhere as uh, faithfully prescribed to us in the text. But I also don't think that this would teach women uh, or would prohibit women from using their teaching gift under the authority of the Word of God and the elders from instructing a mixed gender crowd like a Sunday school class or, in our case, a connect group or a small group Bible study. In fact, it would be my conviction that this passage is specifically about the office of elder and the preaching of the word. But I don't think that it prohibits a woman who has been given a gift to teach from teaching as long as she does so under the authority of the scriptures, not claiming her own authority, with a humble spirit, not pridefully, and under the blessing or authority of qualified male elders, which represents the symbol of masculine headship. 
And again, I think all anybody who teaches the word should be held to this same standard. But we almost we also should remember that there are innumerable ways for women to serve the church outside of the teaching or the office of elder. I think sometimes that can get lost in this conversation that just because the office of elder is reserved for qualified godly men and the preaching of, of the to the gathered body on Sunday morning should be done by the elders we sometimes think that there's nothing else for women to do in the church or for other men who are not called or qualified to be elders to do and nothing could be further from the truth because there is much more shared responsibility within the church for men and women than there are separate roles the church and particularly i think men in the church must work to encourage and empower the women of the congregation to use their spiritual giftedness to glorify God and to build up his church. I believe that women can and should build up the body through both leading and participating in ministries within the church focused on evangelism, service, mercy, worship, and discipleship because we desperately need both men and women fully alive, fully engaged, and humbly embracing the roles God has given them to play within the church for the church to flourish. And moving on to the last verse of the text, many of you asked on Sunday, what about verse 15? And we didn't have much time to dive into verse 15, where Paul mentions that women will be saved through childbearing. Now, verse 15 comes on the heels of Paul's discussion about Adam and Eve in the garden and the distinctive roles that God gives to men and women, that they are not a part of the fall, but were a part of God's original good design. And that when Adam and Eve exchanged those roles in the garden, specifically in the discussion with the, serpent, with the serpent, disaster ensues. And so in verse 14, Paul writes that Adam was not deceived by the serpent, but that Eve was deceived. Now, this is not Paul letting Adam off the hook easy. He's not excusing Adam's sin because perhaps Adam has the greater sin because through Adam's passivity and his abdication of his role as the head, he sinned. And Paul tells us in Romans, it's because of Adam's sin that we are all born into sin. However, Eve's deception is seen as a justification, again, for the role of male headship in the home and the church. Paul writes that Eve, too, became a transgressor, one who was in need of salvation, just as her husband, Adam. Then he says this, that she will be saved by childbearing. Now, this passage in the original Greek language is somewhat convoluted, and it's difficult to interpret, leading, I think, to the confusing nature of this translation. However, I think by seeking to interpret it in light of the rest of the New Testament, we can gain some confidence regarding what Paul is saying and what Paul is not saying. First, I think Paul is certainly not saying that only women who bear children will be saved. This would fly in the face of the consistent teaching of the scriptures that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from any work. Secondly, Paul is not saying, as some have suggested, that all godly women will come safely through childbearing. I think all of us recognize that we understand the reality that we live in a fallen world and that many godly women throughout history have died in the course of childbirth. And so perhaps the best way to translate this verse is to translate it, not she she will be saved by childbearing, but she will be saved through the birth of a child, meaning that Eve's transgression will one day be covered by the birth of a child. 
This aligns with the promise of God in Genesis 3.15, that the Savior would come from the offspring of a woman, that the serpent would bruise his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent. Uh, There's a great illustration that you've probably seen, uh, usually kind of makes the rounds on social media around Christmas time, and it's a drawing of Eve placing her hand on Mary's pregnant belly, and it's signifying that the baby in Mary's womb would be Eve's redemption. And I believe that Paul is pointing to Christ in this passage, the one mediator between God and man, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters of God. Ultimately, this is what this entire passage is grounded on, that God has created us in his image for his glory as men and women who have been deceived and broken by sin, but are offered redemption and restoration through Christ, through whom we have been filled with the Spirit to walk in obedience to God's good design for us as persons, as families, and as his church. Men and women and his church flourish as they walk in faithfulness to his good purpose and design for us. And may our church seek to be a church who walks in faithfulness and in truth. Thanks for joining us this week on the Behind the Sermon episode of the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. We'll see you next week. And a special thank you to you, the members of Lake Murray Baptist Church, and to all of our listeners. Remember, this podcast and the other ministries of Lake Murray Baptist Church are brought to you by the generous tithes and offerings of our church membership. To give to the ministries of Lake Murray Baptist Church, you can follow the link in the description. For more information about Lake Murray Baptist Church, you can always visit our church website, www.lakemurraybc.org. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. By subscribing, you'll be notified whenever a new pod is posted. We hope that you'll join us again next time as we seek to live in light of the gospel in the places where God has placed us for his glory, our joy, and others' good.